if at this point, if we could all just please stand. We're going to go into Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go into prayer. And we're going to move forward. We're going to start in verse 17. If you don't have your Bible, the words are up on the screen. But Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, a strange statement, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. You may be seated and let's just go into prayer for some folks that we need to remember before the Lord this morning. Father, as we just gather ourselves before you, I, I thank you. I thank you for the faithfulness of this worship team. Thank you for the faithfulness of this entire body, Lord, for this community that we're all a part of. Thankful, Lord, that you have put us all together, that you have given us the ability to gather here and the ability to do the things that you have called us to do. Prayerful, Lord, that you would continue to settle our hearts and just stir our spirits to the things that you have for us to learn today in your word. Pray that you would help us to be focused upon you been brought into your presence this morning um, and we need that we need that desperately I pray your blessing upon Flossie, upon Shirley and Taj and Patty, all of them dealing with different issues, Shirley just with a, a bad, bad cold um, and Patty and Taj with um, the issues that they've been dealing with over these months, I pray that you continue to bring healing to them, Patty especially as her back is hurting her Pray that you would continue to just watch over all of these folks. And we're prayerful, Lord, that um, you would continue to watch over Kat, a lady we've been praying for very faithfully, but we have never met as a body. We lift her up to you this morning for many reasons, and I pray that you would just uh, keep her in all of our prayers here today. I pray for all those who are in the military, for Brady, for Jonathan, for Zach. I'm glad that they are back for a short stay before they get restationed, but I'm prayerful for them. Pray that you would watch over them, that you would keep them safe. Father, that you would give wisdom to our military leaders as we, we lost two more again this past week, and we pray for the families of those Army Rangers who uh, we lost. I pray, Father, that you would help us to move forward in a good and healthy way that minimizes loss of life in a world that just struggles every day to figure out who it is. So as we come to your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you keep all of those things in the front of our mind that you would keep all of those things in our heart each day, most especially when we struggle with the things that we are dealing with, that we would be reminded, Father, that um, to be in prayer is what is most important. So we give you thanks. As we get into your word, I pray that you would anoint my thoughts, Lord, and my heart and my mouth to speak what it is you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, just by way of a little bit more information that we don't have in the bulletin, I did get a text message from the Veins last night. Um, for those of you who have been praying for Kat, I pray that you continue to do so. Um, things really don't look very good. Um, so just prayer for a lot of things. Um, she's lost a tremendous amount of weight. Um, 
most of the cancer has doubled. It's now in 90% of her bone marrow. Um, so just the faithful prayers of the saints, um, just that the Lord would speak with her, speak with her husband. I mean, she's not all that old. She's in her very early 40s. Um, just pray for peace and for comfort and just for you know healing and direction in that area. Um, I would encourage you to do so. Steph is very thankful, she said, and I know that Kat is as well, very thankful for the prayers of this, this body. So this week, as you would just do so to continue to remember them in prayer. All right, where do I start? I love you, Jake. Okay. The title for our message this morning is we're into week two of ten, and we're still in Matthew, and you're probably wondering why we aren't in places like Exodus and why we aren't in places like Leviticus. We will get there. I just found myself in prayer and dealing with how it is we set the foundation for this. Um, continuing in Matthew, and we ended here, so we're going to start here. I've titled it real simple, Fulfilling the Law. Fulfilling the Law. And what we're going to primarily focus on today is that, really to say that the law cannot be fulfilled by a person, a man or a woman, we're going to see actually is false, but with a catch. Okay, so again, before we get all upset, just hear me out and bear me out here. Before, thank you, Lord. Well, that's a first. Okay, thank you, Lord. Looking at Jesus being the perfect Israelite, we understand that he has fulfilled the law and he proved that it can be done by a human being. The catch that we're going to look at this morning is very simply this, that Jesus could not do it just as a man. He was also divine. He was the incarnate son of God. And that discovery is what we're going to build on today as we move forward into what it looks like, what the law looks like in our life, and how it is we launch into the Ten Commandments in the weeks to come. Because Jesus the man was able to do what he did as the perfect Israelite, only because he was also the incarnate son of God. Again, here we have these two deep themes within Scripture. You know, the resurrection and the virgin birth of Jesus. So our ability to do what the law tells us to do is possible only with the indwelling of what? The Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that God gives us who dwells within us that allows us to be able to do these things. The third person of the Trinity. Without him, the law, as Paul emphasizes for us, is what? Nothing but death. Without the Holy Spirit, without the indwelling of God's presence, in obedience to the law, it brings nothing but death. And we left off last week right here in this particular scripture where it says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. And that becomes our reference point for today because it's a very difficult three or four verses here in Matthew to really get a hold of. Because when we discovered as we ended last time that we gathered is that the Holy Spirit within us is what allows the law to function as it should in my life and in your life. The manner by which we live before those in the world as this plays itself out, they don't have Jesus, we do. That becomes our badge or our family crest, as it were, the law that tells people that we belong to God because we live a particular way. You wake up every single morning and you spend just a couple minutes in your newspaper and you discover that the world is trying to write a new story in order to make sense of what's going on in the world. The deal that we've got going on is these 66 books that most of you have on your lap this morning, some of you got on your phone, is our story. It is beautiful and stubbornly unchanging before us. So if we can understand that and get our hands around that, 
We begin to live in a way that shows the world how it is we live is an indicator that we belong to God. And understanding that we need all of the Bible, every bit of the Bible to make sense of God's story is the only way that we will ever make sense of this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning in Matthew. You see, because at the start of his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus rolls off all of these people who are blessed or happy is the word that he actually uses. Happy is the person who is a mourner. Happy is the person who is poor in spirit. Happy is the person who is meek and who's a peacemaker and so on. But then in between that particular passage and the passage we're looking at, he makes these two statements in verses 13 and verses 14. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And he says, you are the light of the world. These aren't hopeful future statements that we grow into. These are present tense statements for people who are in Christ, who are in the Lord. Telling his hearers and his people that because they are God's chosen people, they are salt and light. Not they will be, but they are because they are God's people. So the challenge for him and to them is to act like it. Act like you're his people. Act like you are salt. Act like you are light. Life isn't simply lived out by following a bunch of rules and checking your boxes and keeping yourself away from the culture and the society in which you live in. The only way you can be salt and light in a world that needs salt and needs light is to be in it, but not be of it, you see. So Jesus here makes two radical statements as we get into verses 17 to 20 before he gets into the discourses that I call the but I say to you statements that he makes. He tells those gathered around him two things. He says, number one, that I have come to fulfill the law, not to get rid of it. I have come to fulfill the law, not get rid of it. Centering it all around himself. All around himself. And he defines the fulfillment of the law in and through his presence and his coming. That's a crazy notion for any human being unless they were divine. How can you center the law around yourself unless you're divine? The second thing he says to them is that they'd better be much better than their teachers are being. Another bizarre statement that plops itself right there at the end of this text. The Pharisees were those people that Jesus spent the better part of his ministry rebuking, redirecting, publicly scolding, and telling them they weren't getting it right. And yet he tells his disciples and everybody listening to him, if you are going to be right, you've got to be better than them. So we're going to flesh out these two things, unpack it as it were, and figure out what he meant by these. So first off, why then, if he fulfills the law, are we then challenged to be better than the Pharisees, who are clearly not doing the things that are right within the law. And I'm not chasing my tail. I'm trying to talk slow because it, it, for me, just... Anyway, the law needs to be written on our hearts. The reading that we had this morning out of Jeremiah chapter 31 was that he will put the law upon our hearts. That's why he would say what he would say. Because the law needs to be written upon our hearts internally transforming us as people as opposed to this external compliance like we're hanging ornaments on a Christmas tree. It looks pretty for a little while, but it is totally ineffective to keep the tree alive. See, that's true obedience in use of Dave's word this morning. That's true obedience to internalize the law. Let it be written upon your heart. So Jesus, when he takes things further in this chapter, which we aren't going to look at today, he actually is teaching this very principle 
that you internalize. When you take a look at the rest of chapter 5, I leave that to you. That's what he's doing. And just as an example, you can't look at your brother and your sister and use that old wonderful southern saying, oh, bless your heart. Anybody and everybody who's ever heard that knows exactly what that means. And oh, bless your heart is not what it means. Okay? It's a very nasty, mean-spirited, condescending type comment made to somebody who has just irritated the living daylights out of somebody. So instead of saying, you're an idiot, it's, oh, bless your heart. Just let that think about for a minute. So if you ever hear me say, bless your heart, we need to have a conversation. Things like that. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Things like that simply show the areas of our lives which we need to continue to give over to the Lord. When we respond like that to a person, all that does is reveal what is going on inside in those areas that have yet to be fully submitted to God through Christ and by the power of his infilling Holy Spirit. Those are just indicators of what's really going on inside. So to say and to believe, as many do, that the law cannot be obeyed or should not be obeyed simply because Jesus came is also a false notion. It's a misunderstanding of Scripture. Hear me out. We can't just throw the whole thing out the door. Jesus proved that the law can be fully obeyed by human beings. He proved it, but it takes perfection because Jesus was divine. And Jesus was just that, perfect. He had the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit. Remember that. Now, because of the cross and because of the resurrection, here we go again with that same type of thing. The law is all that it should be, all that it was always supposed to be. And with Jesus in us, the hope of glory, as Paul says, we can and should live that life that his faithfulness to every single one of God's covenantal promises have been purchased for us through his death. So you see, the scriptures are always real clear. Like I said, I look at the Ten Commandments and I wonder how it is I screw that up. Well, I get up out of bed in the morning. The scriptures are clear. We tend to muddy the waters when we try to understand things apart from the context that they're given us. We pull it up off the page and we try to make it make sense to us and our world without really understanding what was going on then. You see, because the atonement, Jesus Christ, our substitute, he lived the life that we couldn't live because of our sin. He died the death that we deserved in order that we can live the life his resurrection guarantees for us. That's the atonement. Being God's people for God's world. Being salt and being light. Being salt and being light. This is why understanding the law and its place in our lives is so very important. To say that it doesn't matter. To say that it's not a reference point. To say that we don't need to do anything there is a misunderstanding of Scripture. We're not bound to it as though the law saves. We are not bound to it as though the law saves. Paul makes that very clear. See, this is always the struggle that we have. Yet because of what Jesus makes clear here, because you and I are his people, saved, as we learned last week, if you remember, and I hope you do, flatter me, feed my ego a little bit, it becomes our guide for life. Why? Because we are saved. Not in order for us to be saved, but because we are. We are saved first. He then gives us the way in which we are to live. The indwelling Holy Spirit allows that to happen. Jesus makes it plain again. I'm not writing a new story here as though I'm coming along as plan B. No, he says, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. 
will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Until all is accomplished is not accomplished until he comes back again and sets the entire world back to its rightful place and its rightful created order where death finally dies completely and sin is completely eradicated. So you see, that's the challenge that he gives us in the next statement when he throws out that therefore. The law is not erased until he comes back a second time, but it has its place. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Well, what commandments is he talking about? The Ten Commandments. Those are the commandments that they know. Now, last week we learned that Jesus directed the lawyer's question right back there, didn't he? When the lawyer challenged him, what's the greatest commandment? See, Jesus looked at him and said, we started with these 10 that Moses was given on the hill. You then went and created 613 to really make sure that everybody was hitting the mark there. You know, we all know how adding more rules and regulations really helps people out. But there you go. I'm going to make it simple. I'm going to give you two. It's real simple. Love God. Love people. That's it. Love God. Love people. How do we do that? We look at the 10. That's how we do that. So when he says that here, those who take these commandments lightly, even the smallest one, end up being called least in the kingdom, it's because we're missing that point. The challenge, again, is the internal transformation of your life. Just giving lip service to the word saying I'm a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. It's the internal transformation of your life, that internal conforming to God and his righteous law is seen in your action and the fruit borne out in your life. What is that fruit? Well, if you hang windows for a living, do the best job you can do hanging windows. If you're a teacher, teach as best as you can. If you're an engineer, be the best engineer you can. That bears fruit. That speaks to people around you. That, in part, is what Paul's explaining to us in Philippians 2 when he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who does what? Works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what's happening here when we internalize the law and you let your heart be transformed and conformed to Christ, what happens here is that that is our working out of our salvation. That's our responsibility that God gives us when we receive Jesus. And we're working out, what are we working out? What God worked in us. His sovereign purpose to save you. Because Jesus saved you, now our responsibility is to work out that what God has worked in all because God was pleased to do so. That's the God we serve. He was pleased to work within you all of these good, perfect, and wonderful things. That's why Jesus came, to fulfill the law. And as a result, the law is now internalized and written on our hearts and in our minds, transforming us. That's what Jeremiah was saying. That's what that passage that we read this morning meant. You see, take that away, and how do we know what our guidelines are for living? How do we know what it looks like to be God's people in God's world if you take all those guidelines away? We end up trying to create our own story every day. Because this heart transformation, this internal coming to life because of the indwelling Jesus and his spirit allows for so much more than just external compliance. I can check every box every day. I can read my Bible every day. And I wouldn't know Jesus unless... He was internally transforming me and I knew that his Holy Spirit 
had indwelt me. It's just an act. All that does is make us just like the Pharisees, who obviously had mastered the art of obedience in every bit of the law, and yet when the one who wrote the law and whom the law spoke about stood right before them, they had no idea who he was. Had zero idea who he was. How does that look for me and you in our lives? Think about that for a minute. I want you to think deeply for a moment as we take a look at this. Do you allow these scriptures right here to speak to you when you read them? Oh, it makes me uncomfortable when it gets awful quiet in here. But do you allow these scriptures to speak to you, to the deep parts and the deep recesses of your soul? Do you let them convict you? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to do that transformational inner work that's necessary to be conformed to the likeness of our King? Is that how we read the scriptures? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to work within you in that way? Or do you just read it, remember it, and all in order so that we can go about telling everybody else just how they've missed the mark? Uh, maybe I'm the only one that does that. I doubt it. But Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn the world, did he? John tells us this in John 3.17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There will be a day, but he came into this world not to condemn it, but to save it. And this is where we go so horribly, horribly wrong, and we live in the law that brings death and condemnation. When we aren't careful to do things the right way, we become super critical of anyone we feel who misses the mark, who falls short of what we believe to be the expectations that God has for them in their life. Forgetting, quite honestly, that we ourselves have fallen short every single day and we've missed the mark. How many of you enjoy getting to church on Sunday morning, most especially you moms and dads with kids? Let's see those hands. Okay. Is not Sunday morning the most chaotic and difficult morning? Doesn't everything go sideways on you at home before you get here? Okay, there's a reason for that. It becomes a very difficult day, and we end up missing the mark. Before I get here, I've stepped on the cat, I've yelled at the kids, another kind word from your pastor driving down Shelburne Road. All of these fun things happen. We have to be careful that we reflect on ourselves first. Reflect on ourselves first. Are we being transformed? When you go to the scriptures, I want to say this to you. When you read, ask yourself, where is God? How is Jesus seen here? How is the Holy Spirit working? And where am I in need of learning here? You see, were it not for Jesus coming to save the world, I would be lost, absolutely lost, as would you. The danger of simply reading to find how we can ensure that those around us are wrong and telling them so places us in the school of the Pharisees that Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't simply give intellectual assent. In other words, just have it stored up in your brain to these life-giving scriptures and what it is they mean without internalizing the simple truth that we are to love God and we are to love people. Love God and love people. It's what the Bible tells us. You see, that is what Jesus did. I have come to fulfill the law. That is how you fulfill the law. Read the Gospels. Look at his ministry. Love God, love people. It works itself out in great ways. This is the greatest command we learned last week in Matthew 22. The struggle then, as now, is that we can know the entire Bible and recite of it by memory, recite all of it by heart, and still not know the God of the Bible. It's frightening to me to even think about 
frightening for me. Paul didn't say lightly that we ought to examine ourselves to ensure that we are in the faith. He didn't say that. Now the very real concern, the very real possibility is that even we, if we aren't careful, can look right into the face of Jesus and not see him. We can miss him. But enough on that. Let's look at our second point. Our righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. Matthew 5.20, that really bizarre statement that says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why, why would he say that? Aren't these the very people that he's always rebuking and scathingly setting in their spot and in their place and telling them that they're getting everything wrong? You see, of all people, they ought to know. Of all people, we ought to know. But they didn't. They didn't know. They memorized the law. They could recite it off by heart, inside and out. And they obeyed every bit of it externally. Every single letter of that law. That's how come it became death to them. Yet, as I said, when Jesus, the very one who testifies, who it testifies about, stood right in front of him, they rejected him. John again says in chapter 5, starting in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They'd learn how to do the law. They'd learn how to do the law, forgetting that the law didn't save them. They were already saved. They were already saved. The law showed them how they were to live because they were already saved. They were living life backwards. I want to encourage you, don't live your life backwards. Don't live your life backwards. You see, God called them out of Egypt first, right? That's what Jeremiah told us. They gave, he gave them their freedom. He then brought them to Mount Sinai and gave them the law, their identity. Okay? Your freedom is found in Christ. Your identity is found in and through the giving of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. That makes the law the evidence externally of what God has worked within you. Does that sound at all like what Paul was dealing with in Philippians when he said that? You see, they did exactly what we would do even unintentionally, believing that obeying the law is what saved them. That by doing all these things, that's what made God happy. Now what makes God happy is obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Giving your heart over to him allowing him to transform you and make you more and more like him. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. So to say that the law doesn't matter because we have Jesus, well, you know, that's true, but if Jesus came to fulfill the law and not abolish it, shouldn't that cause us to rethink that statement? Shouldn't that cause us to rethink that statement? If our righteousness needs to exceed theirs, and now it can because Jesus fulfilled it, how do we do that? See, the gospel's good news. That Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. He seeks to dwell in you. That's the good news. That's what brings us to life. That's the internal transformation. That's how we do that. You see, Jesus told the Pharisees, again, that this was their issue in Matthew. And we need to be very careful that we don't unintentionally make it ours, just living it on the outside. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. That'd be a great sermon starter, wouldn't it? For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. 
Again, I'm not sure he'd get invited back a second time. But just think on that text. I mean, he hits their tithe. You're giving. Okay, great. So you do the easy things. So there's two things going on there. Don't just do the easy thing of tossing your check in the plate. And don't do the opposite of that, thinking that the tithe is no longer a thing that we need to do because that's Old Testament stuff. Jesus says, look it, don't forget the former. Do them both. Remember to give as the Lord tells you to give, but don't forget justice. Don't forget mercy. Don't forget faithfulness. These aren't social justice things co-opted by any particular political party. These are biblical truths when we deal with human beings. So in other words, you follow the letter of the law, but ignore the heart of the law. He's not throwing out the law. He's stressing correct application of it and living genuinely according to it because you belong to God. You belong to him. You were bought at a high, high price. Don't neglect what it is he gives us. These 10 commandments are our guidebook for living rightly before him. And we can go there now because, you know, we've taken the long way around. If you continue in Matthew 5, he goes into the but I say to you statements. And we're not going to look at that. I want you to look at that when you have some time to do so, okay? I want you to understand that when you internalize the law and you emphasize justice, mercy, and faithfulness, peace, that is the heart of the law. That doesn't bring death, that brings life. That causes us to look at every human being as an image bearer. It causes us to ask ourselves and ask the Lord through the Holy Spirit, what do we do for this person and how do we live rightly before them? And that can only be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how he did what he did. Kind of makes Acts a little bit more important for us now, doesn't it, as we come to a close this morning. Why do you think he told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem until you were clothed with power from on high? We cannot do what God calls us to do unless we have the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. We cannot in any way even understand the law unless we are indwelt and infilled with God's Holy Spirit. That's why Paul tells us to test yourself. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit is just the paraclete. You know what that means? It means helper. It means someone who comes along beside. We need that. We need that. If I could have the worship team and the prayer people take their place, we're going to come to a close here. I just want to look at one more thing. I spent a lot of time in taking a look at the fact that we really need to understand the law because when I hear a lot of people talk about the Bible, they say we're in New Testament times, we don't need to worry about the Old Testament. Jesus came, we don't care about the law anymore, we don't need the law anymore. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus put it back in its proper form, written in our hearts, not just stored in our heads. So as we head into the 10, I want to leave you with this as we close. The entirety of our mission in the world is summed up this way by Jesus. We love God. We love people. That's the greatest commandment. He then says this. Tell people why. Dave actually read the passage. You're to go into all the world and you're to tell people what I did. That's the great commission. 
The great commandment, love God, love people. The great commandment, our great commission, tell them why. Next week, we're going to take a look at how it is we love God, looking at the first four commandments, one through four, what that looks like. And then how we love people, looking at the last six commandments. Because I can tell you this, as we all stand, if you would, please, and I want you to be prayerful about this. This is what really unsettles my heart this morning, that if we know nothing else as God's people, if we cannot properly love God and have proper communion with God, we will never know how to love people. We will always be looking at every other human being in an inappropriate way, in at some level a judgmental way, at some level in a way that says you aren't good enough. In order for us to get to the place where we look at every image bearer as being infinitely valuable, we have to know how to love God appropriately. Then we have the ability to fulfill the Great Commission. Father, as we just close here, I've talked enough and probably more than I should. But Lord, as we close in this last song, Help us all to understand that as we stand here this morning some 2,000 years on, that our lives were bought at a very high price. A very high price. And that as this world struggles each and every, every day to try and figure out what its story is, you have a story. You have a story that is unchanging, that is unbending, it is unyielding. It is full of love, it is full of compassion, and it is also full of conviction. It is also full of the challenges to be conformed, to lay down our idols at your foot, to lay down our crowns at your foot, to put ourselves on our face before your throne and understand that you cared so much for us that you came looking for us when we weren't looking for you. And you say, come home, my child. And I'll show you how it is you were always supposed to be and how it is you were supposed to live as a human being. This world so desperately needs you, Lord. Remind us of that every day and every single thing we do and every conversation we have that this world desperately needs you. May we be your people for your world. Living in actuality, the scriptures written out for people. In Jesus' name.